Welcome to the Harvest Bible Chapel of Winston-Salem podcast. We believe in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. For more information, visit harvestws.org. Here's this week's message. Man, I'll tell you what, it's uh, how good is the worship team, right? Can we give them a hand? Man, fantastic, fantastic. What a blessing. I'll tell you what, I said this when I was here a couple weeks ago. Let me stop and say some of you may not realize who I am. Uh, my name is Johnny Pereira, and uh, I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and uh, so excited about that. And thrilled about that, and uh, I've been here uh, with my wife Lori a few times in September and November and December, and can I say how excited I am that I don't have to get on a plane today and go back to Chicago, but I can get in my car and go to our house, so thank you for praying for that. We closed on our house on this past Wednesday and uh, are getting settled in and uh, let me thank you so much for, for your generosity already. Those of you who've come over and brought meals and, and just helped fill our pantry and all of that stuff, man, it's been, it's been amazing, and we are so thankful, we're so grateful, and uh, man, so, so awesome to be here. And what I was saying before, before I interrupted myself, was uh, I was saying to some of you who were, uh, when I was here last December, like, we... If, if this place, if you call this place your home for a long time, you don't realize how blessed we are uh, of the talent that God has given us in musicians and vocalists. Like, I'm blown away by it. And uh, so thankful, so grateful uh, for this team and, and under Gray's leadership and what they do week in and week out to prepare us uh, to remind ourselves that what, the, what a privilege it is to gather as the Lord's people in the Lord's house on the Lord's day, amen? And uh, what a great way to kick off 2017, right? What an awesome way to kick it off by gathering together uh, with God's people to give God the glory that is due his name. I invite you to turn to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, and this is uh, January 1, 2017, and uh, we are here to celebrate the new year. As Jacob said, normally we have our services 9 and 11 if you're new with us. But we know a lot of people are on vacation and traveling, different things like that. So we wanted to gather all together in one service at 10 o'clock. And so thank you so much for being here, making God a priority on this first day of the year. And so knowing that I was going to be here on New Year's Day, because actually... On the schedule, I wasn't supposed to be here to start till the 8th, but I'm like, man, I'm here, I'm ready, uh, I'm excited to celebrate uh, this new year with all of you, and so we're so thankful to be here. And as I was preparing for this message today, you know, it is New Year's Day, and I know some people make New Year's resolutions, other of you have just given up, uh, but how many of you would say you make New Year's resolutions, raise your hand, be proud about it, raise your hand, nice and high, all right, all right. Keep them up, keep them up. Everybody else look around. Like, like, it's crazy. Like, how few of you are even compelled anymore to, to set goals for your life. We have some work to do, I can see. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, but as I thought about today, 
you know, it's a fresh start, it's a, it's a new year. I thought about, I was just interested in seeing, like, what were the, top, where were, the where were the top five New Year's resolutions for this past year of 2016? And so I found this Go Banking did this statistic of the top five New Year resolutions for last year. I'm going to start at number five, all right? Listen up. Here it is. Number five, spend less and save more. All right, that was number five. Number four was spend more time with family and friends. Some of you are like, I'm glad the family has left, right? Uh, number four was spend more time with family and friends. Here's a third one. Lose weight. So that's probably, I know it's mine. I'm sure it's many of, of us in this room. Number three, lose weight. Number two, live a healthier lifestyle. So I guess it's like, well, I may not lose weight, so I'm going to be a little more generic and say live a healthier lifestyle. And then number one, uh, which this is interesting, enjoy life to the fullest. Like it's good, but it's kind of lame, right? I mean, so generic, and we wonder why we don't keep our New Year's resolutions. And then I came, I was interested, okay, so these were the top five New Year's resolutions, but statistically, like how many people actually keep them or make them? And it's interesting when I pulled the crowd, statistic brain. So it said 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. So we saw the crowd, like we're even less than that in this room, but 45% even make them. Americans make them. Now this is interesting. 25% of people don't keep their resolutions through the first week. So 25%, man, they don't even make it seven days. And maybe that's why you don't make them anymore. Maybe. And then I, I thought this was interesting as I was reading uh, these couple of websites that they said one of the best ways to stay with the resolution that you actually do make is to go public with it. Like they were suggesting like actually post it on social media. And now like if you have Facebook, you know, they send you those reminders of this was a year ago, this was seven years ago. You might not, you might not want to do that, but maybe if you want to keep them, maybe that's something that you do. So I know in a room like this that there's some of you who approach this day and this year with tremendous optimism, right? I mean, that's why in some ways we celebrate New Year's Day is it's a fresh start. It's new beginnings. It's a new year. There's hope. There's maybe expectations that you have. Some of you have set goals because you are optimistic about what you hope will happen this year. And so there's those of you in this room that are like that. And then I'm sure that there's others of you, of us in this room, that maybe approach this new year not with necessarily optimism, but maybe anxiety. And and there's a lot of unknown. Maybe it's health reasons. And I know there's some in here that that are battling cancer or other health issues. And so you approach this new year maybe not so much with optimism, but maybe anxiety. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in these certain situations that I have listed out in my mind. And so you don't approach them with optimism. You approach them with anxiety. Or maybe it's like, man, I've I've had so much hope every year going into a new year, and it's constantly not worked out, and I've constantly failed. And so you don't approach it with hope, but you actually approach it with pessimism, not optimism. But regardless of who you are in this room, God wants to speak to you today. Do you believe that? Turn to, turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to speak to you today. 
Because when we open up God's word, and hear me on this, when we open up God's word, when we gather together, together every time we're in this room, or whether you're in a life group or a Bible study or whatever it is, or you're on your own in your own quiet time with God, that when you open up God's word, you have an assurance that God's going to speak. We have an assurance today that God's going to speak, and it's remember, it's important to understand And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, and God is going to speak to us either to our optimism as we approach this new year of 2017, or maybe to some of us to our anxiety or our pessimism as we approach this new year. God wants to give you a word today. And so let's look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of Of the throne of God. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this message is Run Your Race. And here's the idea that I want you to really walk out of here today as we look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and it is this that that God's desire for you is for you to run your race, run your race God's way with God's help for God's glory. That that's God's desire for you. And for me, that we would run our race God's way, with God's help, for God's glory. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, the writer of Hebrews describes our life as this race. And so some of us maybe be asking, well, what is is the race? I mean, it says there in this passage in verse 1 that we're to run with endurance the race, but what's the race? And that word race is an interesting word. It literally means agony. So we can take from that that this race that we're to run is not going to be easy. It's not a sprint. It actually has the idea of a marathon. That the writer of Hebrews and the audience that he's writing to, that word has the idea is what they use to describe a marathon. It's your life. It's my life. And here's what we need to understand about our race, your life, my life, that God sets the time for my race. God sets a time for your race. Like, we all have a set time given by God that we're going to live on this earth, and so God sets the time for our race, but God also sets the terrain for our race, because All of us, if you've lived life for any amount of time, can know there's ups, there's downs, there's peaks, there's valleys, that this isn't a marathon on a straight track. I mean, this is a cross-country marathon. But God sets the terrain. He sets the time. But praise God, he also gives us strength. He gives us the strength for this race. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three ways that you run your race God's way with God's help for God's glory. Three ways as we look at this passage of scripture. And here's the first way. Look at the first part of verse one. Paul says, or or the writer says, I think it's Paul, but the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Here's the first way that you and I run our race with God's help 
for God's glory, God's way, number one, we look at the witnesses. Because that's what the writer says, right? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. But before we get to that, there's an interesting word there in verse 1. It says, therefore. And whenever you're reading God's word and you see that word, therefore, that tells you that you need to go back and to see what has been written before you get to that verse. That there's some reality that the writer has shared that this verse is based upon. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that's telling me that there's content in the previous chapter that the writer is basing what we're going to expound on today. This is a conclusion based on a certain reality. And those of you who are church folk who are here this morning who have spent any time in God's word are probably familiar with chapter 11. Where the writer of Hebrews lists all these Bible characters in the Old Testament and their lives and the faith that they showed as they lived for God in their lifespan. And so if the first way that I run my race God's way with God's help for God's glory according to this passage of scripture is that I need to look at the witnesses. What what we're looking at here and what the writer is saying is, hey, understand that these people who are like you and me, no different than you and me, lived in a different time, but no different. Same temptations, same struggles that they ran in faith. These people that have gone on before us, not just those people that are found in the Bible, but other people that we have, can talk about and look at that have run their race, that have been faithful in what God has called them to do, that those people are a testament to us that I can run my race God's way with God's help for God's glory because they ran in faith. They ran in faith. They weren't perfect. I mean, if we had time to go through chapter 11 and look at all the characters that are list, listed by name, you only have a couple, Enoch and Abel, who we don't have any account of the mistakes that they made. These weren't perfect people. Some of them have done things that I would hope none of us would do. But they're in here, why? Not because they were perfect, but because they ran their race with faith. And so I want to give you a definition of faith this morning. Here it is. Faith is a conviction in God's character and competence to complete what he has promised. Let me read that again. Faith is a conviction in God's character, who he is, who I believe God to be, and his competence, what I know God can do. That faith is a conviction in God's character and competence to complete What he's promised. So when the writer of Hebrews says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Noah's up in heaven looking at you saying, come on, you can do it. I don't don't see anywhere in scripture that testifies that that's a reality. So it's not so much that everyone's looking at you and cheering you on as, as, as much as it is that they are an example that just like they did, you and I can live by faith and run our race faithful. 
that we can exercise faith, that we can have a conviction in God's character and competence to complete what he's promised for you and for me. You know who's great at this? Is exercise infomercials. They're great at this concept. Because what will they do in every exercise infomercial? What do they do? They show all the people that had success, right? They show the before pictures, and then they show the after pictures. And what are they doing in that? They're saying, this person did this. This regular Joe or Judy did this. So can you. You can do it. What are they doing? They're giving you hope. They're giving you the idea that you can do this. Why? Look at the other people who have done it. And in a simplistic way, with that illustration, that's in some ways what the writer of Hebrews is doing. Hey, you can run your race. Because people have gone before you who are flesh and blood like you are, who've made mistakes, who've fallen flat on their face, but they got back up. They had a conviction in God's character and, and competence to accomplish what he's promised. And so the writer of Hebrews says, man, if we want to run our race God's way with God's help for God's glory, we need to look at the witnesses. They ran in faith so we can run in faith. Here's the second thing. Not only look at the witnesses, but look at what it says in the second part of verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, then he says, let us also. So here's the reality. We have people who've run this race before us. They've run it faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully. So let's look at them. Let's be encouraged by that. But then let us also do what? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the second thing. Not only look at the witnesses, but here's the second thing. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. Like, look at your life. Let me look at my life and say, what do I need to do so that I can run my race God's way, with God's help, for God's glory? Can I, can I say a statement that I know we all agree with this morning? It's hard to look at yourself with objective eyes, is it not? Real easy. For me to look at your life with objective eyes. We're real good at that, right? Real good at seeing what everybody else needs to work on. But it's hard to look at your life with objective eyes. I had a lot of conversations this morning about, man, I'm going on this diet and, I'm, and I'm, I'm changing the way I eat this and I'm going on this for 30 days and all that stuff. And heard a lot of conversation that was the majority of the conversation I had before the service today with people. Think about it. Change, maybe, or the stick on that eating thing, and you're like, you don't want to get on that scale, right? Because the scale doesn't lie, right? You try, to, you try to take off every piece of clothing because it may add like a tenth of an ounce to it, and you get on that scale, and you, remember, you, think about it. We've been there, right? And you, and you the, the, uh, do I look? Do I not look? And you look. Why? Because that scale doesn't lie. It's objective. And it's hard 
to embrace reality. But I love that the writer of Hebrews says, just don't look at the people who have run their race faithfully, but you also need to look at yourself. You need to look at yourself with objective eyes. You need to embrace the reality of where you are in this moment of your life. We need to embrace the reality of where we are in our lives on January 1, 2017. And I think we need to ask ourselves three questions as we look at ourselves. Here's the first one. What's weighing me down from running my race? what's the writer say? Let us lay aside every weight. That idea of weight means anything that is given more attention than my relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything that is taking a higher priority in my walk with Jesus. Anything that I'm placing above my relationship with him, that's a weight. It doesn't say sin. It says a weight. See, the problem isn't the weight. The problem is in what the weight does. See, for some of us, we may have different weights that we need to lay aside. Because for some of you, my weights may be different than your weights, and you would say, man, that's no issue of me placing that in a higher priority than Jesus and my relationship with him. Where I might say, your weight is not necessarily a problem for me to struggle in putting in a higher priority than my relationship with Jesus. The problem is not the weight, it's in what it does in our life. And I love what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. He says, I count everything as loss. Why? So that I can know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. we got to ask ourselves, what is weighing me down from my race? Like this week, maybe you need to say to yourself and write these questions down and say, man, I need to do an inventory in my life. I need to look at myself with objective eyes and say, what is it in my life that's weighing me down? Is it possessions? Is it personal relationships? Is it priorities that I need to run my wreck so that Jesus Christ is first and foremost in my life as I run my race? Because that's how we do it, God's way with God's help for God's glory. Here's the second question. What sin is hindering me from running my race? Because look at what he says. Let us lay aside every weight, verse 1. And then he says, and the sin which clings so closely. So it's not just the weight, because get this, the weight is not necessarily sin. But then he jumps now to what sin is hindering me from running my race. Because sin can always be traced back to unbelief. And it's rooted in this lie and unbelief that what I want is better than what God wants. What I want is better than what God wants. Every time I sin, it's always traced back to that lie. I want this, and I believe it's better than what God wants. And so as I'm looking at my life and I'm taking inventory of my life, and even Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I don't want my life to be hindered. I don't want my race to be hindered by unconfessed sin. So I'm going to identify it. 
I'm going to say, God, what in my life, whether it's secret, whether it's even hidden from my eyes, God, where in my life is there sin that is, according, described in this, is clinging so closely to me. God, I want to run, your, run my race that you've given me. I want to identify it. And when I identify it, I want to confess it. God, I want to confess it for what it is. It's sin. God, I want to repent of it. I want to turn from it. I want to set up guardrails against it so I don't do it again. And then I'm going to pray that the Lord would give me strength. I mean, this week, I just, I had to confess some sin, like, you know, the stress of moving and all that stuff, and I've been short, and, and uh, you'll get to know this about me. I, I can easily have a temper, and so I remember having to apologize to the kids and Lori and say, man, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me for, for getting so angry and getting so worked up because the cable didn't come out when he was supposed to, and they messed up this or messed up that, and That's something that I battle with that is a sin that clings closely to me. And I need to say, Lord, I need to confess it. I need to repent of it. I need to set up guardrails against it. And I need to pray for you for strength. Because I want to run my race your way with your help for your glory. I need to look at myself. And here's the third question I need to ask myself. Am I running my race with endurance? That's the third part idea of this verse in verse 1. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word endurance literally means to bear under something that can hold weight. I mean, we can all testify, right? Remember what I said at the beginning of this message? This is a cross-country marathon that we're running, our life. And God sets the time that we have to run a race. And he sets the terrain to grow us, to refine us, those peaks, those valleys. But wouldn't we all agree it takes endurance? It's not a sprint. It takes endurance. Because as the word race means, this race is hard at times. It's agonizing at times. And you and I will not do it without endurance. And here's how I define endurance. Endurance is the fortitude to have an attitude to never give up. Endurance is the fortitude to have an attitude to never give up. And that attitude is rooted in faith. Remember what we said about faith. Faith is a conviction in God's character and competence to complete what he's promised. Remember we talked about those witnesses? As I look at my life, one of the witnesses that I look to is someone who's run their race faithfully. And yes, I can look to the characters in in Hebrews 11 and get encouragement from that. But you're probably like me, man. We have witnesses that have made a profound impact in our life that are still living. His name, for me, it's my, one of the witnesses, my grandfather. His name was Donald Schaefer, and uh, he passed away in 1992. And I remember he had a profound impact in my life on what it means to have endurance. I remember at five years old, him, and he was a huge sports fan, huge sports fan. 
Like, and I know some of you are and some of you aren't, but just stick with me. Huge sports fan. He was like five foot four, 120 pounds soaking wet, but had the personality of a bulldog, probably because he was that little. And I remember he, he introduced, he took me out to the basketball goal when I was five years old, and he was teaching me how to shoot a basket. And I remember vividly to this day and trying to shoot that basket and not being able to get it up on the 10-foot goal and trying and saying, man, I'm quit. I don't want to do this and run into the house. And he would not let me quit. He would not let me go into that house. And over and over and over again, in little things, he was such an encouragement to me to not quit. And later on in his life, in around 1990, 91, it came across that he had a brain tumor and it was cancerous. And I remember the shock that that was because I had a close relationship with him and he was a person that I looked up to and, and he went to every one of my games and then we'd get in the car and we'd drive back home and he'd tell me what I did right and he'd tell me what I did wrong. And there was more wrong than right. But he was, he was always encouraging me to keep going, to keep enduring, to never give up. And what I love as I look back at his life is even in the midst of having a brain tumor and brain cancer, And having conversations with him, he never gave up. God set his time. And God chose that he was not to be healed of that cancer, but he lived his life faithfully to the very end. And when I look at my life and I look at this passage of Scripture and I look at the witnesses and I look at myself and I look at the importance of endurance and I look at that definition that it's the fortitude to have an attitude to never give up. I think of the profound influence that Donald Schaefer had on my life. But if we stopped right there today, we stopped right there, hopefully you would say, man, he missed the mark. We stopped right there. Because if we ended the message right here and you walked out of these doors, you would be filled with this mindset that I can do it. Okay, I need to look at other people who have run this race, and I'm going to look at them and gain encouragement from them. Okay, I'm going to look at myself and do inventory and say, where's the way? We stopped right there. Am I running this race with endurance? If we stopped right there, we'd all walk out of here as we approach all the goals, all the things that we're hoping to accomplish in 2017. And I can tell you this right now, we'd fall flat on our face. Why? Because we forgot the most important part. Because look at what it says in verse 2. It says in verse 2, here's the money, looking to Jesus. See, I can look at the witnesses, which is important. I mean, it's in the word of God. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that are to encourages, encourages us that people just like us were faithful, not perfect, but faithful. I need to look at myself and see where my my. Uh, weaknesses are and my sin is and I need to get that right and I need to confess it and I need to repent of it and I need to set up guardrails and I need to pray to God for strength every day. Man, where I'm encouraged the most is I look to Jesus. Why? What does it say? He's the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's a third way. That you and I run our race God's way with God's help for God's glory. And it is we look to Jesus. Not just to the witnesses. Not just to yourself. But to Jesus. To Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect 
motivation. Like as much as I can look to other people, Jesus is the perfect motivation. He's the perfect one because he's called the perfecter of our faith. Without Jesus' faithfulness and his perfect life lived in replacement of my sinful life and his death on the cross, the payment for my sin and your sin without his resurrection three days later that we sung about this morning showing that, that yes, it has been accomplished and Jesus is victorious for you and for me. Without that, we can't run our race. Can't do it. But we look to Jesus because he's the perfect motivation and he's also the perfect illustration. Look at what it says in the second part of verse 2. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He is despi- he despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the perfect illustration as you and I run our race God's way with God's help for God's glory. He's the perfect illustration of what that looks like. Because Jesus ran for two things. It says the joy that was set before him. There wasn't joy and submitted to it. The joy was is Jesus knowing what would happen if he submitted to it. That you and I could sing today the songs that we sang. That we could open up God's word today. That we could pray to God today and know that he would hear us. That we could walk out of these doors today and approach this new year knowing that we can have victory in Christ. That was the joy that got Jesus through the pain. Jesus ran his race because he saw the joy, and the joy minimized the pain. But it also says he ran it because he knew that when he was done, he would sit at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew that victory would be accomplished for you and for me and for those who have yet to trust him today. And maybe that's you as your Savior, that that would be experienced for all of eternity. Jesus had his mind pinpointed and focused on that. Not necessarily the pain of the trial and the agony of the race, but him knowing that this was for our good. He was focused on the result. I mean, I remember when I was taking my motorcycle riding course. And I remember they had all these cones set up. And I looked at these cones and I thought, how in the world is this big bike going to get through all those cones? And you know what they taught us? When you're riding that motorcycle and you're going and you're weaving out of the cones so that you can actually get your license, they said, don't look at the cones. Keep your eyes pinpointed on where you want to go. And you know what? It actually worked. See, some of us want to focus so much on the pain. And hear me in this, I'm not trying to minimize the pain if you're in pain today. I'm not trying to minimize your circumstances today. But what I am reminding us today is that we have an example and it's Jesus. And if we're going to run our race, we have to look to him. And he's given us an example that we have joy in the midst of difficult terrain in our marathon of a race. But we run that race Faithfully, why? Because we know that God is doing something in and through us that will last for eternity. 
So as we close this morning, I just want to give you some things on how we look to Jesus to run our race God's way with God's help for God's glory under this looking to Jesus. Because here's, here's what we need, not to minimize that we look at the witnesses and not obviously to minimize that we look at ourselves and endurance. Am I tempted to and say, where's the weights? Where's the sin? Am I running with endurance? Am I tempted to quit? But we alleviate that when we look to Jesus. And here's the first way that we run our race as we're looking to Jesus. And we have to have a relationship with Jesus. Like, man, maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been trying to do life on your own. You've been trying to achieve things to fill a void, to give you significance, to give you security, to fill that void, and you're finding out that nothing fills that void. Man, I want you to know if that's you today, you are here for a reason. And that's for you to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, that he lived perfection for your imperfection, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose again. So today, if you confess your sin and and trust him as your Savior and say, I believe that you are my Savior, I'm not my Savior, you can walk out of these doors today, a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's the first way that we look to Jesus as we run our race. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, what we need to say to ourselves, God, as I approach this new year and I run my race, God, am am I taking as a priority, that I'm going to read your word every day, that I'm going to pray today every day, that I'm going to take the things that I want to accomplish and I'm going to make a list and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray out loud and I'm going to seek you, reminding myself that I can't do it. That's why I need to look to you. It begins with our relationship with Jesus. And man, we need to rejoice as well. And we need to rejoice. Take time in our lives to say, God, what are you actually doing in and through me? Let me take time to have the eyes and stop looking at the cones and look at the, be focused on where I'm headed and let me look and, and celebrate what you're doing in me. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit in the midst of the pain. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit's power. That every day, that you say, Lord, I can't do it. So Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit's power so that I can serve you today? Here's the last thing. Man, we need to rest in Jesus' faithfulness. Because what I see in this passage of Scripture is we serve and worship a God who was victorious through Jesus Christ. And I need to rest in God's faithfulness. Because there's going to be plenty of times, and I have it in my life all the time, where I fall flat on my face. And I believe a lie that my way is better than God's way. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus lived perfection so that I can call out to him and I can confess that sin and I can get up and run my race. See, Jesus sets the time. It's not a matter of, I'm not running against you. So it's not, man, i got to beat him. No, it said, I finished my race, the race that God set before me, and he is faithful, and his faithfulness trumps when I'm not faithful. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul says this as he's about to die. He's in Rome. He's in a prison. 
He knows his race is done. He sees that the stopwatch is about to be clicked. And Paul looks over at his life, in spite of being a murderer, but being saved and being rescued and now being a proclaimer of the gospel that he used to, per, used to persecute people for. Paul looks at his life and he says this, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And here's you and me. Get this. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That when we run our race God's way with God's help for God's glory, that we have a hope that because Jesus was victorious, that I can have faith, I can have endurance, I can look to him and know that when I finish my race that I'm going to be in his presence for all of eternity and celebrate him knowing that I've been faithful because he's been faithful. So I don't invite us all to stand this morning. And here's what I want to do, and I know that some, as we start this new year, and here's what I want to do, and I know that some people are like, man, I don't want to do this, but I want to encourage you to do this. I want everybody to go across the aisles, and I want us all to hold hands. So grab the hand of the person next to you, because I believe that God is going to continue to do great and awesome things in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in my life, in my marriage, in my family, and hear this, in this church. And so would we say this together, it's on the screen, would, you, would we say this together, you ready? Let's say this together. I will run my race God's way with God's help for God's glory. God, would you hear your people today? Lord, if there's someone here that's never placed their faith and trust in you, God, would even in the quietness of their mind today, would they call out to you, would they confess their sin that separates them from you and realize that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again for them and they would place their faith and trust in you today. God, may we run our race your way, with your help, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Harvest Bible Chapel Winston-Salem podcast. For more information, visit harvestws.org.